Good morning. Welcome to the services here at the Church of Christ this morning. Trust you've had a good day. So far, it's a beautiful day out there. Everything up to speed and working. Good morning. Glad to be here this morning. Hope what I've prepared you'll find interesting, edifying to you and your walk with uh, with God. This morning, if you're visiting with us, by all means, we are so thankful you're here. We'd kindly ask you to stick around for a few minutes, concluding service. Give us a chance to introduce ourselves, to welcome you to La Prada Drive, give you a feel for who we are. But thank you for being here. This morning, as the slide shows, I'm going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to start out by by reading a passage, and then we'll jump in. Consider John chapter 14, verses 23 through 27. And it reads, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And the word which he hear is not mine, but the fathers which sent me. These things have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, Neither let it be afraid. The Holy Spirit. You know, this morning I want to talk about just that. That the Holy Spirit is a term that's most frequently used in the Bible to describe the ministry of God. So this morning I want to talk a little bit about what, number one, what is the definition of holy? The definition of holiness why is being holy important? And then I want to address the fact that a person can achieve holiness in their life as a believer. So those are the topics that I really want to cover this morning. You know the word holy. We hear it used often, I guess, when describing the Holy Bible. Outside of that, it's not necessarily all that common. You know, I think most that are familiar with Scripture can recall when, when God commanded his people to keep the Sabbath day holy. You know, the, the, the Scriptures also tell us that the words holy, the word reverend, are used in names for the Lord. That's what he's called. Possibly you're familiar with some that use the word holy communion, describing the, the communion that we just took part in. You can hear it used in the Lord's Prayer. You're probably familiar with that. Hallowed be thy name. You know, it's also used to describe believers. We're described as saints. Saints, by definition, is holy ones. But most often, we use the word holy when we describe the Holy Spirit, strictly because that is who we're talking about, the Holy Spirit. You know, the term holy involves this notion of being unique, something that's in a class of its own, right? 
It's special. It's not common. But behind the uses of, of, of the word is consistently, it's the idea of being set apart for a purpose. To be set apart for a purpose. So knowing that, what is the definition of the term? What's the meaning of it? Especially in the sense of the Holy Spirit. You know, first, in, 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 in the phrase Holy Spirit, it's clear that we're speaking of a specific spirit, right? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. It's not just any spirit. Now, why is that important? It's important because Scripture tells us that there are other spirits. There are unclean spirits. There are deceiving spirits. There are fallen spirits. As a matter of fact, Paul even warns us against those who preach of different spirits. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or excuse me, chapter 11. But in 1 John 4, John also speaks to the fact that we need to test the spirits. We need to test the spirits to make sure we understand what we're hearing and what it is. Now why? Why do we need to know this? Because as God's children, we need to recognize that not all spiritual experiences... Not all notions that take place in our life are good. They're not. So we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, whose very nature and character is in and of itself holy. But you know, all this shows that the Holy Spirit is indeed the Spirit that's special, set apart, it's unique. And we know by context, the reason for this is that the Spirit we are talking about is the very person, and it's the presence of God. Scripture tells us that anything that pertains to God is by very nature holy. That's what Scripture tells us. Now we need to remember that that even the pagans, for instance, consider the Greeks. They were not Christians. They were polytheistic. Had many gods. They used the word holy. They used the word holy to describe a building or a temple. Or to describe utensils that were used in the worship to their gods. They described that as being holy or being sanctified. You see, for the, the pagans, the word never had any idea of morality, of ethics. There was no semblance of right or wrong. In fact, all non-biblical-based religions are amoral. Meaning that you don't have to be a moral person to be religious. You know, for, for them, religion, it, it's merely a matter of, of ritual, a matter of ceremony. Morality and ethics play no role in their faith. And that's what they believed. That's why many of the pagan religions, their ceremonies, would be more likened to a drunken, sexually explicit party that they proclaimed to be lifting up to their gods. 
That's why they deemed it to be okay. Because according to their thinking, religion and moral and ethical behavior had little to do with each other. There was no joining there. But, but you know what? In the Bible, in the Bible, it's very clear that that's not the case, right? It's clear that that's not how we are to live. The Bible takes the term and baptizes it in the blood of Christ. And then throughout the Bible, starting Ten Commandments moving forward, we see that religious behavior takes on moral consequences. And why is that? That's because we serve truly a holy God. The Lord tells us in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, For I am the Lord your God, ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and, be, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. The Bible teaches that which is holy is never just something that's been through a ceremony or a ritual, but rather it's something that has been dedicated to the holy God. And therefore, it's intended to reflect his nature, his character. Because the Holy Spirit is the presence of the living God who works in and through us to make us more like him. His purpose is to develop us into people who are truly conformed to the image of his Son. Romans 8 and 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, the Holy Spirit assists each of us in, in taking on this new life, in conforming us into the image of his Son. That's what we have been charged to do. Romans 6, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we all should walk in newness of life. You see, it's this new nature that we have that we're called to live according to God's will. You know, a few years ago, I think most of you would remember a wristband that was really popular. Matter of fact, I remember seeing a lot of them here at this church. That wristband was very basic, and it said, what would Jesus do? That's all it said. You know, in our walking a new life, it should really revolve around that question in all that we do. Everything we do, we should ask, what would Jesus do? Because it's the Holy Spirit's business to make us holy, to make us saints to be called the holy ones so that's what God refers to his people as you know the result of having the Holy Spirit at work in our lives what's that called it's called holiness it's a quality of life that reflects God's presence through each of us because it's in our actions it's in the decisions we make. It's in the words that we choose to use. It's the way we live, right? And this leads to, to the second concern. What is the importance of holiness in our life? Does it have importance? 
Hebrews 12, verse 14 reads, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. There's not any gray in that statement. The Bible makes it clear that without holiness, a person will not see God. It's not possible. Second, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. What is it? It's the will of God that we be sanctified. Hebrews 10.10 By thee which which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus on the cross. But that makes sense, right? Makes sense because to be saved means that we have to be changed. We have to make a new person so that we're rescued from the life that we're living that's destined to hell. And then we're placed on a path that directs our life towards heaven. We're taken from living a life that leaves God out to one that is set apart specifically for God. And the Holy Spirit is what what does this. It's He who does this. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, reads... For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, for Christians, the only evidence that we that we are in Christ is whether we live a holy life. It's really all we've got. That's the only evidence we've got as to how we lead our life. John said in chapter 3, verse 3, 1 John that is, And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So even, or rather so everyone who's, who has the hope of eternal life purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. Consider for a moment. If you've been saved, that you have no grasp of holiness in your life. You may flatter yourself, call yourself a Christian, call yourself a believer. But you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You've turned your back on it. Because you refuse to let him work within you. And that's easy to do if you're not careful. By decisions that we make in life. The way we allow ourselves to view situations. You know, a question that's been posed, and I'm not sure who to attribute it to, to give credit. But many of you have heard it. It says, or it's worded that if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That really sums it up, doesn't it? Do you get it? 
Is there enough evidence in your life? Can it be seen? Because the issue is not whether you've been baptized. It's not whether you've gone to church every Wednesday and Sunday morning and Sunday night. Now, although choosing to follow the gospel and attend service is required to be saved, but equally important is how we live our lives. Are they transformed after we rise from that watery grave of baptism? Do we walk in the newness of life? Have we chosen to let him work within us? Have we embraced the Holy Spirit? Or have we rejected him? Chosen to go alone? Consider 1 Corinthians. It's a lengthy reading here. It's chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. And it reads, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? I know ye not, that he which is joined to a harlot is one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth without, is without the body. But, the, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, the way Christians live our lives is important because because we are not our own. The blood of Christ has purchased us at the moment that that we're baptized, having chosen to obey the gospel. And this is the idea of the Holy Spirit's work. Consider the significance of verse 19. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Shows the significance of something, right? Right? Significance of something that's been consecrated, it's been set apart. The term for temple carries significance. It's referred to as the most inner part of the Jewish temple. It's a place where God's presence is manifest. It's part of the temple that was restricted. Not just anybody could go there. Why was that? That was because it was holy. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. This sanctuary, this room that we're meeting in this morning, it's not holy in that sense. 
It would be wrong to believe that it is consecrated by God in any way. Now, hopefully this place, this church, is not the only place that study takes place in your life, study of God's work. Hopefully it's not. But you see, it's you. It's me. It's us. It's God's children. We are the holy place of God. It's our body. It's not some building. It's not a room. It's not a table. It's not getting on your knees in a specific floor. Now, these places for you may indeed be dedicated to experiencing the presence of God. And that's a great thing, and I hope you have those places. But you know what? Those places, just as any place a child of God goes, becomes a special place. It's not the place, it's the person. The person is a special person. Because that person is a child of God. Now, if somebody were to destroy this building, it would be awful, but you know what? It would be equally awful for them to destroy any building. What makes this church special is not the building, but rather it's us. It's the congregation, it's the family, it's God's children that make this place special. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8 reads, Furthermore, when we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know the commandments we gave to you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentile, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. And we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Now for a moment here, I want you to, to notice that both passages, 1 Corinthians as well as 1 Thessalonians, they both address sexual conduct. You ever thought about why that is? Well, I think it stands to say, and history has shown, that considered the sexual deviancy of the pagans that we spoke about earlier. How is that any different than the dominant thinking of today? seems to revolve around this idea that, the idea that if, it, if it feels good, if it makes you feel good about yourself, then you know what, how can it be wrong? But if it makes you sad or if it makes you feel bad, if it makes you feel guilty, then how can it be right? Well, the fact is that this is not what Christ teaches. That is wrong. And it's a problem that's plagued man since time began. You know, a Christian, rather Christian holiness, and our Christ-like conduct is not a matter of, of taking a poll, finding out what the most common thread is of people's opinion. What do they accept? 
but rather it's living in the spirit of holiness because that's God's way. Matter of fact, that's the only way. There is no other way. What others do, or rather what they don't do, really is not an issue. It's not an issue at all. The question that we should be asking at those times is, what would Jesus do? What would he have us do? Nowadays, people don't see anything wrong with sexual immorality. For that fact, other ungodly acts, they just don't see the issue. The problem is that it's contrary to God's intended, created purpose for each and every one of us. It goes against his desires. It has absolutely nothing to do with social acceptance or public opinion. Why? Because the only standard is God's standard. That's it. That's all that matters. His spirit is indeed holy, and it's special. Now, anyone the Holy Spirit abides in has been set aside for a special purpose. And that purpose is to reflect the character of God in our lives at all times. So is is holiness important? Absolutely it's important. It is literally a God thing. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you are God's, and you have been bought with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. So how does one achieve this? How do they get there? You know, earlier I spoke of baptism. I referenced verse speaking to the newness of life. This newness is only obtained when one is baptized and thus receives the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 and verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Galatians 3.27, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. To put on Christ is to receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. There is no other way to receive the Holy Ghost. If you have not followed the gospel, then you have not received the Holy Spirit. Which means that in your life, if you haven't been baptized and you feel as though the Holy Spirit is, is leading you in a direction, then make no mistake, Scripture says you're following a false spirit. Because you had never received the Holy Spirit. Because He is the Holy Spirit. And when, when, when the Spirit enters your life and begins to work, what happens? Well, the result of that is a concentration on Jesus. It's an increasing holiness in your life. It produces a moral and spiritual quality that can be called godliness. You know, it's at that time that we begin to act, we begin to talk, we begin begin to behave like God in our moral and our ethical character. It's not shown in our life. 
Now, there's going to be some that say, you know, aren't we all sinners? Isn't it too much to expect sinners to, to literally live a holy life? And surely the Bible can't, can't mean, you know, that, that if you're not holy, that you're never going to see God. Well, the answer is absolutely the Bible does mean that if you have holiness lacking in your life, then you will not see God. But also the answer is absolutely you and I and everyone in this world can choose to be holy. It is possible. And at the point that you decide that you're going to follow the gospel, you don't have to let life have your life controlled by sin. Because you can live a new life. But you know what you can't do? You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it just because you've been baptized, so therefore you're good to go. Try to make good decisions, you're all right. You can't do it by yourself. It's impossible. But you know who can do it? The Holy Spirit can do it in you. He's doing it in me. He can do it in each of us. But when that happens, we can no longer make excuses for ourselves. We don't have the luxury of saying, you know, I couldn't help myself. You know, I just couldn't resist. I, I had a weak moment. Those excuses no longer exist. Because indeed, maybe you couldn't help. You couldn't resist. But you know what? The Holy Spirit could and can and will. But the question is, does the Holy Spirit reside in you? And if he does reside in you, then we choose whether or not we're going to let him work within us or whether we're going to turn our back and go it alone. You know, William Temple, some may know him. He's deemed to be a great British Bible scholar of the last century. I chose to include this because I think he explains this concept rather well. In any quote, I quote him. He says, It is no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it's no good showing me the life like that of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Because Jesus could do it. But I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like that. Remember in Romans 8, chapter, 8 chapter verses 9 through 11, By ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. Christ, the spirit of God, can dwell in us if we choose to allow it. 
Consider Paul's words to the Galatians. Chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. It says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other, so that you cannot do things that you would. But if you be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of thee which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affection and the lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we choose to let the Holy Spirit reside in us, and then we choose to let Him lead us, we're going to be made more and more like Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not easy, and and absolutely sometimes we fall short. We fail, right? Do you know what the beauty of that is? The beauty of that is that we are not a finished product. We're not done. We're not everything that we're going to be. But it's through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that we're also not like we once were. We're better. But if we think we can do it on our own, or rather if we're satisfied with where we're at and what the Holy Spirit's done for us thus far, and we start making decisions that aren't in accordance to God's will, that means that we're never going to be the child of God that he has called each and every one of us to be. It's not going to happen. Now, it's very important to consider in the Bible the evidence of the presence of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit that we've just read. This list of moral and ethical virtues. The proof of the Spirit, or in some cases the lack thereof, is where? It's in how we live our lives. That's that scene. Do we walk like Jesus? Righteousness and mercy. Integrity. I'll tell you one thing that's always clear. Where the Holy Spirit is at work, you will not ever rationalize, condone, or excuse absolute moral failure. It doesn't happen. That only happens in the world and with worldly people. You'll never have the Spirit say, well, you know, that sin's not so bad. Everybody's doing it. It's excusable. No, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And how does he do it? Through the Word of God. That's how it happens. And it's through this conviction that the blood of Christ continually washes away our sins when we do fall short, when we mess up. 
But you know what else? The Holy Spirit also provides us the strength to overcome any temptation, any sin that we encounter in this life. It doesn't matter. See, each day the Holy Spirit should live in us and should be growing in us, aligning us and our lives with the character and the righteousness of Jesus because that is the Holy Spirit. You know, we were given a promise that's grounded in, the, in this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, There have no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. You see, God is the Holy Spirit. His desire is to make us holy and righteous. And this is a task that we can never complete on our own. But through Him we can. Why? Because He is the Holy Spirit. That's how it happens. It's the only way it can happen. That's God's way. So this morning I ask you, do you know the Holy Spirit? I mean, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized? Or have you thought for many years that the Spirit has been working in you only to find out today through God's Word that that's a false spirit? If He is in you, is He working in you? Is there evidence in your life today to show that He is dwelling in you? Only you know that answer. In Luke 11, verse 13, Jesus is talking, and he says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? See, Jesus teaches that we can have the Holy Spirit. His desire is for each and every person that walks the face of this earth to receive the Holy Spirit. But that requires action. You have to decide that you want it. So this morning, if you've not followed the gospel of Christ, if you haven't been baptized for the remission of your sins, if you haven't allowed the blood of Christ to wash away your sins so that you can receive the Holy Spirit, so that you can come out of that water and walk a new life, then I'd ask, what are you waiting on? That can happen today, that can happen. You can receive the Holy Spirit here today, now. But you know, there may be a brother or sister out there that that has been baptized. They've chosen to be a child of God. But through decisions, without intent, they found themselves very lonely. Found themselves down, recognizing that indeed they had turned their back. The Holy Spirit and allowing him to work in them in their life. Well, you know what? God has blessed you with a church family that loves you dearly. And there is power in prayer. And when you have loved ones that are aware of your problem, it's then that your family can assist. Can assist, obviously, in prayer, which is such an invaluable tool, but can assist you in other ways to help you get back on track. But that's got to be your desire, and the help can't be given if you don't let it be known. So this morning, if you haven't received the Holy Spirit, 
that you seek to do so and to be baptized for their mission of your sins, or if you need the services of your brothers and sisters here at the Prana Church of Christ, I'd ask you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. My heart, my mind, my